It's such an overwhelming and, and encouraging reality to be reminded of God's love for us. And that as, as holy as our God is and as broken as we are, uh, he chose to love us and to redeem us. Thank you so much for being here. It is such a joy uh, to be here and to worship with you, um, especially to our college students. Welcome back. We're so glad that you are here. Uh, it's, it's a joy to worship with you. And as we transition from worshiping uh, through music to worshiping through the preaching of God's word, I just want to invite you to read our passage with me this morning. It comes from Psalm 103. We'll read verses one through five together. You can follow along in your copy of God's word. You can follow along on the screens as well. And again, that's Psalm 103, verses one through five. It says this, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your goodness. God, thank you that you've chosen to love us despite our brokenness and redeem us, to sanctify us. Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we study your word, that you would incline our hearts to your truth and that you would show us your glory, God, through your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Stephen, and thank you for being uh, here today and worshiping uh, with us. And let me just take a moment and recognize those who are in our overflow room and say thank you for being here uh, and worshiping with us as well, as well as those who are joining us by video or by podcast. For a number of years, Jim Dunn served as the pastor of First Baptist Church of a very small community. Uh, Jim was very effective in many ways, but one of the things that uh, Jim struggled with was preaching. In fact, even Jim's friends would say, I love Jim. Uh, I'm very thankful for Jim's ministry here, but preaching really isn't Jim's thing. So one Sunday in particular, there was a guest who showed up to First Baptist Church. Uh, the guest entered in the back and he walked down front and he sat down on the third pew. This older gentleman participated in worship and then uh, Pastor Jim Dunn got up to preach and about 10 minutes into his sermon, this older gentleman fell fast asleep and began to snore. So that everyone around knew that this man was sleeping, including Pastor Jim's wife who was seated just across from the man who was sleeping, and she was angry. She was mortified that this man had fallen asleep during her husband's sermon, and she was angry with him, and she determined right then that as soon as the service ended, that she would go, and she would find this visitor, and she would scold him for falling asleep during her husband's sermon. So the service ended, and she began to make her way over. On the way over, she thought, well, before I give him a piece of my mind, I probably need to introduce myself. And so she walked up to him, and she said, hi, I'm Gladys Dunn. And he said, boy, you're not the only one. (laughs) 
Today we are finishing uh, our series on worship, and some of you will be glad it's done. Uh, as you've seen on the screens, we have called this series Worship Matters. Uh, and there are two meanings to this title. One is that we have talked about matters related to worship, like we're supposed to worship in spirit and truth, which we covered the first couple of weeks. Uh, as well, this title means that worship truly matters in our lives. Who or what you worship will set the direction of your life. And if you are a follower of Christ, your worship of God matters. It is through your worship of God that your soul is filled with joy, which is exactly what we are talking about this morning as we look at the first five verses of Psalm 103. Psalm 103 was written by David, who is the second and most famous king over Israel. He lived about a thousand years before Christ, and he wrote almost half of the 150 psalms that we have in our Bible. This particular psalm has been called by some scholars the Hallelujah Chorus of David. It is a psalm of pure praise. In it, David makes no requests. He lodges no complaints against the Lord. In fact, he does not even describe his own situation. This psalm is purely and solely about the call he has placed on his life to worship God with everything that is in him to offer his praise to the Lord. The Westminster Catechism, which dates back to the 1600s, uh, was a teaching tool or is a teaching tool designed to teach Christians truths about the faith. It is written in a question and answer format and has nearly 200 questions and answers to instruct Christians in truths about the, our faith. The very first of the 200 questions reads this way. What is the chief and highest end of man? In other words, why do we exist? What is the purpose of man? The answer given is this. Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. You and I were designed to worship God. And when you and I operate in the way that God designed us, our souls are filled. When you and I worship the Lord, there is a joy that is experienced that cannot be found by any other means. Which is exactly what David expresses in this particular psalm. In fact, the words that Stephen read earlier from Psalm 103 begin with a command to worship. David starts this song by saying to his soul, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul, with all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. The reason this psalmist, the reason David began with a command to praise God is because praising God does not come naturally to us. Even though it is the highest end, even though it is our greatest purpose, even though we were, we were created by God to worship, even though it is the best medicine for our troubled souls, 
Worship does not come naturally to us. In fact, all the commands in the Bible that are, uh, that are given are there because they do not come naturally to us. Things that do come naturally, uh, we do not have to be commanded to do those things. When you're hungry, you eat. No one has to tell you to eat. Uh, when you're tired, you sleep. No one has to command you to do this. When you're in pain, you cry. Those things come naturally to us. However, there are ways of living that are good for us, but they do not come naturally. And so the Bible commands us to do those things. The Bible commands husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church because it is not natural for anyone to love in a completely selfish manner. The Bible tells citizens to honor the king and to obey those in authority because it is not natural to honor politicians. The Bible tells sinners to repent because it is not natural to repent. And the Bible tells us to praise God because it is most natural to want to receive praise, not to give praise, even if it's to God. And yet, as the Westminster Catechism correctly states, this is our main purpose. God created mankind as the pinnacle of his creation to be in a right relationship with him and to praise him, not because God somehow needs our praise, but because our souls desperately need to praise him. When we follow this particular command, we are happier. We are more filled with joy. We experience peace in our lives because our souls desperately need to praise God. So how can you and I follow this command even though it does not come naturally for us? Let me give you five primers for praise this morning. You'll see these on your message map. There are certainly more than five. Uh, however, in this passage, we see five very clear primers for praise. Number one, you can write this in. The first primer for praise is to practice thankfulness. David began... This psalm in verse 2 by saying, praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. David commands his soul to praise and then says, remember God's goodness. Forget not all that the Lord has given to you. How often are we guilty of forgetting what God has done for us? And just imagine for a moment how different your life would look if you were really good at practicing thankfulness. If you were able to catalog all that God has done for you and throughout your day recall all these things that God has given to you. When we practice thankfulness, it becomes a primer for praise. This past summer, I had the privilege of joining a mission team from this church and going to Guatemala, uh, where we served uh, a charity organization called One More Child uh, uh, there in Guatemala. And one of the things that we did was to go into a couple of very impoverished neighborhoods and to take bags of food into these neighborhoods uh, in a way to establish a foothold where this organization was trying to work. And so we packed these bags with things like rice and beans and prepackaged drinks. 
And we carried these bags into these neighborhoods and we went to certain doors that had been assigned to us and knocked on the doors and said, we represent this organization. We would like to give you this food. We would like to know if there's any way that we can pray for you. These were very poor neighborhoods. None of the homes had running water. Uh, they were constructed out of corrugated metal for exterior walls. Most of them had dirt floors. Uh, they did have electricity. I could see it running uh, into the neighborhood, but I don't think it worked at all. Um, it was just very poor. We went to one house in particular, and it was among the poorest that we saw. There was an older lady who lived there. She said that she had lived in the neighborhood her entire life. Uh, we had a team of about eight taking food to this woman in this house. We walked into her home, and it consisted of two rooms. One was an inner room that was a bedroom slash den slash kitchen. And then there was an outer room that was something like a foyer, and it was tiny. We went into the house. She invited us to come into the den, but we could not fit all together in this room. And so a few people went in, and I stood in this foyer area in this hot house made of metal, a six-and-a-half-foot ceiling, holding a large bag of food, standing there on a dirt floor. And I began to listen to what was happening in the room. One of the leaders on the trip is a guy named Andy Belknap, who's in this church. And Andy, through a translator, uh, told the lady that we were with this organization and we were bringing her food. And were there any ways that we could pray for her? Now, while he's asking her these questions and the translator's translating, I'm standing just outside, sweating, holding this food. And inside my head, I'm complaining. I'm really upset that I'm having to stand there in this hot house on this dirt floor holding this heavy bag of food. And I'm thinking, Andy, hurry up. We got to get out of here. You know, we've got to get out of this house. I'm hot and I'm tired. And he asked this woman, how can we pray for you? And through the translator, this old, older woman said, God has been so good to me. She said, every time I need something, I will pray about it, and God just comes through. She said, in fact, I ran out of food recently, and I prayed for food, and the next morning, there was bread on my front steps. Someone just dropped off bread. And she said, a while before that, I was praying for food, and someone gave me a chicken so I could have eggs. And she just began to list all the ways that God had provided for you. And as the translator translated this woman, cataloging all the things God had done for her, I thought, man, I am such a jerk. Complaining about the fact that I'm having to stand for 20 minutes on this dirt floor, knowing that I'll get to go back to the hotel room that has air conditioning. Knowing that in a few days I'll get on a plane and I'll go back to America. And here I am complaining about my situation. How different would your life be if you practiced thankfulness? How would your life change? How would your marriage change if you practiced thankfulness? How would your relationship with your coworkers or family members change if we spent less time complaining and more time being thankful? In fact, this morning, if you're having trouble thinking of something to be thankful for, let me give you one. We are meeting as a faith community this morning in an air-conditioned building when it's 100 degrees outside. 
There's a reason to be thankful. We could almost get Pentecostal just on that one. <laughs> right? What, what a great gift that God has given to us. This place to come and to worship Him. The first primer for praise is thankfulness. Then David starts to list out the specific things the Lord has done for us, which leads us to our second primer for praise. You can see it there. The second one is to preach the gospel to yourself. Notice what David wrote in verse 3, that God is the one who forgives all your sins. Let me be clear here about this psalm. This psalm was written to believers, for those who have had all their sins forgiven. In fact, there is a phrase peppered throughout this psalm that reads this way, for those who fear him. All of these incredible promises are for those who fear him, for those who are followers of Christ. This is not a psalm of general blessings by a general God to the general population. These are specific promises for believers. Meaning, if you are here today and you are not a follower of Christ, then number one, let me say, I'm really glad that you're here. But number two, these promises do not apply to your life. But they can. They can. They can apply to your life before you eat lunch today. Before you leave this building today. Because these promises are not based on anything that we have done, but solely on faith in Jesus Christ. And in an instant, your life can change and you can become a follower of Christ. And every one of these promises can apply to your life. If you are a follower of Christ, my guess is you're like me and there are times that you forget. That you forget this benefit. You forget the fact that we are 100% forgiven. That we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So every day we need to preach the gospel to us and remind ourselves that there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. In fact, later on in this psalm, David writes this about what God has done for us. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. If you leave here today and you began to travel east, you will go across the Atlantic, across Europe, across southern Russia. You'll come around. You'll cross Hawaii. You'll go across California. You'll come back here. And you can keep going forever. And you will never go west. You leave here and you go west. You will go west forever. And you will never go east. That is how far God has separated you from your sin in Christ. And so often when we have a bad week, when we fail, when we blow it, when we have a Saturday night, when we sin a lot, we forget this and we come to church and say, I can't praise God today. God will not accept my praise. I have blown it. God is angry with me. And the Bible tells us, no, in Christ, you are forgiven of every single sin and nothing can separate you from God's love. When we preach that gospel to ourselves, we are ready to praise God. 
The third primer for praise is to recognize your source of healing. To recognize your true source of healing. David wrote in verse 3 that God is the one who heals all your diseases. And when we read verses like this, so often we become hyper-focused on physical healings. And certainly God does that. Sometimes God does it miraculously. And sometimes God does it through what we would consider to be just more normal channels. I remember last year about this time I had some kind of stomach bug that just put me in the bed. And it, it was awful. I had the shakes and fever and all of that put me in the bed to the point that my prayers vacillated between Lord, heal me and Lord, just take me now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. But you know, a couple of days later, I started to feel better. And a couple of days after that, I was pretty much all the way better. And the Lord healed my stomach disease. Now you could say, well, that's just the natural course of events. Or you could say, the Lord is the one who gave me the immune system to fight off that awful stomach bug. And so the Lord healed my disease. But there is more to this idea of healing. There is more to this verse and what the Bible teaches that goes beyond just the temporal healing of our physical bodies. And one is this, we have the promise that a day will come if you are a follower of Christ that you receive a brand new physical body that will experience no disease, no aging, no pain at all. It will be perfect. And I don't know at what age we will appear in these new bodies, but my guess is 18. <laughs> because at 18, I felt really good. So if you're 18 years old right now, enjoy it while it lasts. And if you're beyond that age like me, then we get to look forward to that age again and our new bodies. But it's more than that. God not only heals us physically with this promise of a new physical body, but he heals our diseases now on things like pride or the disease of anxiety, the disease of depression, the disease of broken relationships, the disease of struggling marriage or regrets or addiction. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And when we recognize that God is the one who heals us of those things. It is a primer for praise. The fourth primer for praise, uh, you can see this on your message map, is to fulfill your purpose. Here's what David wrote in verse 4. That God is the one who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Some translations there read that God is one who redeems your life from destruction. In other words, God in Christ has redeemed you from a wasted life. And not just necessarily wasted on bad things, like some addictive substance or on sinful things, but wasted even on spending time doing good things that don't really matter. There's a now famous sermon uh, by pastor and author John Piper that he preached at a gathering of 40,000 college students in May of 2000. Uh, most people do not remember the uh, Bible verses and 
passages that he preached on in that sermon, but everybody remembers the illustration that he used that made that sermon become famous. In fact, that sermon is now known as the Seashell Sermon. And in this passage, Piper cited an article from Reader's Digest about a couple who managed to retire early and they moved to Florida and they spend their days playing tennis and riding on their boat and collecting shells on the beach. And Piper called this story a tragedy, noting that the couple spent their entire lives pursuing the American dream and spent the last chapter of their lives the chapter just before they would face God, collecting shells. And they would stand one day before God and say to the Lord, here are all the shells that we collected on the beach. Aren't you impressed with our shell collection? And then Piper pleaded with these 40,000 college students, don't waste your life in this way. And while there may be nothing inherently wrong with retiring at the beach or collecting shells, I would certainly agree that if you have no purpose beyond that, it is a wasted life. But hear this, if you are in Christ, this is not you. Here is the promise of this passage. God has redeemed you from a life that is pointless. God has redeemed you from a mundane existence of just going to school, graduating from high school, going to college, getting your degree, getting a job, getting married, having 2.3 children, working for 40 years, retiring, moving to the villages in Florida, and then dying. And that's it. God has said, you have a purpose beyond that. So I would say to you, if if you want, want to retire in Florida, fine. Retire in Florida. If you want to pick up shells on the beach, fine, do that. But when you get to that place in Florida, join a church. Serve that church. Give to that church. Adopt adopt some college students and have them over to your house for meals once a month and share the gospel with them. Your life has a purpose beyond just the here and now, the mundane of life. If you're on the younger side, let me say this. You're not tempted to or able to at this point to move to Florida and spend all your time picking up shells. But there are temptations that you have to give into a wasted life, to spend hours of your life staring at a screen. I'm not bashing social media this morning, but I'm pleading with you. Don't waste your life. Your purpose goes far beyond just likes and shares. And all that social media offers, uh, live out the purpose that God has for you. Even if you're in high school or college, live out that purpose. Serve in your church. Go outside and spend time with friends. Get off the screen. Talk to a real person. Share the gospel with that person. Uh, live out your purpose. Focus on that and it will ignite praise in your heart. Finally, the last primer for praise is to enjoy God. Notice what David wrote in verse 5, that God is the one who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. 
And later on in this psalm, David would describe our relationship with God like this. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. In other words, if you are a follower of Christ, then you are able to call God Father. And more importantly, you are able to relate to him in that way. God who is a perfect, perfect father. And the God who has tremendous compassion on his children. I think about my own relationship with my kids and and just how much I am willing to do for them whatever it is that they need. Not just giving them material things, but giving them emotional support, driving them to sports practices, driving them to their games, watching their games, giving them instruction in life. And I am far from being a perfect father. Yet God is not. God is a perfect father, meaning we are able to ask him anything. He knows our needs and ask him for those needs and enjoy God as he satisfies your desires with those needs that you ask for. The more you enjoy God, the more you enjoy that relationship with him, the more that your soul will want to praise him. He was born in 1974 in Chorleywood, England, a sleepy little suburb about an hour's drive north of London. And he was born into a family situation that wasn't ideal. At seven years old, his father committed suicide. It wasn't until he was 10 years old that he learned the truth about his father's passing. He would later say that he felt like he experienced his father's death twice. Once when it happened and a second time when he was 10 and he learned the true cause of his father's death. Then his mother remarried, but her her new husband ended up being abusive. His stepdad later ended up in prison for his physical abuse of the family. This young man grew up in a tough, tough environment. He described his preteen and his teenage years as being very dark. Uh, There were extremely difficult days that he faced. In fact, they were so difficult, but those around him could not help but wonder what destructive paths this young man might later travel. Except as a youth, he was invited to a revival meeting at the Queen's Park Football Stadium in West London. And there he heard the life-giving, soul-satisfying message of the gospel, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He began attending an Anglican church in his hometown, and in that church he learned to play the guitar. And evidently he was pretty good at it, and so he was asked to lead worship for the youth group. And then they discovered he was really good at it. They asked him to lead worship for the entire church. He himself discovered that not only was he good at leading worship, but he had a knack for writing worship songs as well. And one day in his personal Bible study, he came across Psalm 103. And he read that first line over and over again. Praise the Lord, O my soul. 
all my inmost being praise his holy name. And he continued to meditate on that verse. And he continued to meditate on the entire psalm, thinking about just how much these words speak to our foundation as God's people. And it was out of that encounter with Psalm 103 that Matt Redman would write and record the worship song, 10,000 Reasons. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul, worship his holy name. Is your soul troubled this morning? Or maybe you feel like your soul is empty or it has been damaged in some way. The cure for a troubled soul is coming before the, the throne of God and doing exactly what you and I were designed to do, to worship and praise his holy name.